everybody, this is Tavo Diarcy, and I'm here representing the DFW Leader Ministry Online Fellowship.com. It's really DFWMinistryFellowship.com. Also, the TCL Leader.com, which is our maven of theological doctrines right now. And I'm saying this to put the All Points Bulletin out about the Word of the Lord to the kinds of Christians who have false teaching. Uh, I'm submitting this as a sila to everybody that's a Christian, old and young, black and white and brown, because I'm doing it for the sake of the Lord and the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not the gossip. It's not the blame shifting, accusing. It is the good news of Jesus Christ. So I'm here representing the thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands that have either perceived it was a from such turn away accuser type fellowship second timothy 3 1 through 5 which is what i did was assessing the fruit the impure fruit of certain kind of authority teaching down in the grassroots and i've done this at every level from micro to mega many times in many parts of the united states because the lord sent me at age 24 way back when to study the body of Christ and their doctrines and I had no clue that there were such things as witch watching accusing people from afar never speaking blame shifting so I'm really now it's time to come out because I'm I'm putting out a very particular word it's for the name of Jesus if you study Jesus Christ and his father in the garden with Adam Neither one were accusers. The accuser is written two times in the male gender. In Genesis 3 and Revelation 12, 7 through 11, and it is the devil himself. So we can assess, we need to assess what is pure, what is holy, what is false, what is true, and correct it. But then we don't want to assess, we want to assess people, but we want to assess their fruit, not their persona and we do it without accusation so this is the word of the Lord I'm very troubled for the concern of the Lord having come from a Baptist pastor's as a Baptist pastor's daughter firstborn who was he was not racist biased he was a real Christian on and off the pulpit stage he was not famous so are many the most effective many people are not famous they're just unsung and that's why I'm happiest being myself with these people in ministry. Yet we have the mega, you know, the TV influence of the day. And we have a mega pronouncement of religious doctrines at this moment. Fountainheads with both good and clean. But then you can have false doctrine, which is accusing. The fruit of false doctrine would be the flavor of relationship disfigurement, relationship accusation over a long time, continually, relationship subterfuge, emotional drama, behind the scenes intrigue, gossip and, you know, who said what, who did what, accusing, but never, never confronting. This is what we found. They will accuse. They can see sin far off and tell everybody about it and blame you, but they will not up front be bold enough, loving enough, respectful, 
have the fear of the Lord enough to upfront Matthew eighteen fifteen and Galatians humbly, Galatians six one one to one, talk to you about it. It's the lack of relationship respect and the lack of E O R R we're trying to defrag. E O R R is equal opportunity, real respect for the office of every human made in God's image. There are no big eyes, no big elite proud patricians, no little worms, no black, no white. Everyone is equal. All the people are equal. You don't trust everybody. You don't, but you respect them. You don't dare. I'll say this again in the, for the Lord. You don't dare tell people that you represent the Lord or that you love them or that you, Jesus loves them. If you're really secretly disrespecting them and accusing them with your bias and your own opinion and your false teaching, that's what's going on. And I'm out in the, I've been in urban and I've been in suburban and I've done many multi-states for decades. And so it wasn't time to talk about it because I really didn't know exactly what, why I was seeing a lot of this stuff. So a lot of things I would say defrag accusations such as witch watching in the prophetic move. Why do I say that? Because all these years, if you look at online fellowship, everything I teach about modeling relationship health has come from the opposite of disrespect, demeaning disrespect for off false doctrine accusation to me and many others around the United States. Because there's something about hiding that's too easy. Hiding and not confronting is weak. It's called weak. If I were to say, if you thought that somebody is a Jezebel, if you choose to accuse somebody because that's their pet lingo, all right, if they want to find a Jezebel, the Bible tells you how to do that. A Jezebel is a dominating, controlling person. It could be male or female. In the Bible, they name Jezebel, who is the daughter of Ethbaal, the false religion practitioner, who Ahab, in the original version of 2 Kings, 1 Kings 16, he willfully, the king of Israel, who'd been warned in the Torah never by the book of the, you know, by God, never to marry outside the faith, he willfully, intentionally went over and asked for Jezebel's hand in marriage. No wonder she was demonic. He could have said no. He was too weak in his own trust of God, and he was too devilish himself because he was the worst practitioner of Baal worship, and he married because he was blind in the spirit, blind as a bat. He chose willfully the false person, Jezebel. Well, later he could have manned up and said, I divorce you, but he didn't. So we go over to the principle of dealing with any kind of Jezebel thinking or person. The Bible says to the head leader and founder of the movement, head leader and founder of the lampstand at the church of Thyatira, Revelation 3, he says to the leader, not the Jezebel, not the false teacher, not the dominating prophet, he says to the head person, top lead pastor, why do you tolerate that Jezebel, that demonic personality, male or female, black or white, old or young? Why are you such a big wuss that you keep putting it off when I've said in Matthew 18, 15, 
go over there and one-to-one confront them, set them straight in a polite fashion. What I've said in Galatians with Paul, 6-1, if you think they're really in sin, and this one was, you were to go over there one-to-one and politely, meekly correct them. And if you're that scared, if you're that big of a chicken, you get off and you call somebody on your team and go with them, with you to confront Because this is out here in the grassroots, majorly around the United States, usually country-raised, now they're, you know, all-knowing. But they're still in mega, mega ministries and micro-ministries where my field is. My field is the Holy Spirit. My field is Spirit of Prophecy without making it spooky or hurting anybody. So I had to go out in the field and get experience, but I didn't know you'd find creepy, emotionally damaging, bigoted, and even forceful, aggressive, and character assassinating doctrines repeatedly in certain of these movements. Look at Ode to Whelp, look at TCLleader.com, look at all these different teachings on theology and Whelp, Western European Levitical Patriarchism, shepherding, this is the move, that's what's in there. That's not right. So we can like the good parts, and then you have to determine how many false teachings in a movement, in a group, a prophetic ministry, a witch-watching ministry, or a Baptist ministry, or a Christian ministry of any kind, is enough in there to warrant them being called a false teacher, a false Christian group, a false minister. I've never yet called anybody that I would name right now off the top of my head a false group. I'm telling everybody with a warning you from the Lord that enough false teaching is supposed to be in the eye of the beholder, but after a while, if you don't repent, God is just going to cause you to be caused false. I'm not wanting it. I'm not wishing it, but I'm saying be careful. I'm looking at my doctrines. Hey, I'm not fault-finding. I'm doing what the Bible told me to do as the head of the lampstand of this ministry, the office apostle and the pastor and everything else, not dirt. I am here to confront whelp and false teaching in the Christian ministry, and I'm here to confront it and deliver it by good teaching and correction. I'm here to do it because I'm not a wuss. If I'd have been allowed in their august and mighty non-servant leader presence, we could have dialogued this privately. (laughs) But it's too huge. It's everywhere in TV affected, afflicted, famous name, followers of the famous name, prophetic, charismatic, mostly all white. Anybody who's with them after a while, that yeast of the Pharisees, including denominationals, because I was in an area before Dallas, where I saw this shepherding Phariseeism accusing of people not going to church, this, that, and the other, not being submitted, but never talking to them to find out if you were. This relationship aberrant, non-Christ-like behavior before I left, it infected because yeast of the Pharisees spreads. The point of this ministry message right here to tell everybody, back in 2020, I had already discovered what I didn't know is going to be called whelp, Western European Levitical patriarchism and matriarchism. It had come into the area under 
different groups that had not been there and they brought the charismatic prophetic with them. And I didn't realize that because I was out in ministry for all my life before that. I'd been around different kinds of Christians with speaking in tongues and not. We were in revival and they were pretty much country raised. But that's where I lived. So I respected them, but I was not, I was caught off guard that once this kind of group took spread, that there started to be everybody watching everybody, looking out for witches and telling people that, you know, calling people witches. And if you look at what happened, and then I went to Florida and found more, and I went to different parts of the East Coast and found a lot, turned out to be, well, stereotyping, never speaking, never being polite enough to interact. They just want to know the more <laughs> elite. It's elite. So I wrote Ode to Whelp. If you look at Ode to Whelp, it is what many people, too many people in ministry have had their names gossiped, you know, blackballed, and all these awful things, which are so anti-Christian. <laughs> if you are not role modeling the prophet Christ, Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says in the new days, New Testament days, we're supposed to get our view of the prophet, the office prophet from Jesus, not the Old Testament, but Jesus. That's Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. If you look at Hebrews 1, 1 and 9, Hebrews 1, 9, it says that prophet was known for his joy. He had the oil of joy and gladness above his fellows. He wasn't dark, super serious, and always clouded over with, you know, pain and also clouded over with dark, sinister witch watching, accusing of the sister and the mother and the leader and the fellow person. And many times I find that I'm sent for the black person because whatever's my diverse energy, God has given me my global anointing for his sake, which is very diverse, really is diverse. And black people, brown people really love me. Um, I will go in there and I'll, that whelp spirit will rise because whatever's on me that's diverse is not on them. So that's why I've had to have vocabulary. I've had to, you know, just figure out how to handle all this. It was not easy. But what they've done, what they didn't know it, they were touching God's anointed. The Bible, I would hear some of these people way back then. Don't touch God's anointed. Don't touch God's anointed. You know, in Second Chronicles or whenever that is, don't touch God's anointed, do his prophets no harm. And they meant them. Yet those same people were the worst reason I wrote well. The most character assassinating and witch conscious and gossiping. I met 30 people during that time that had been the same bad. And that's church. This is church. This is supposed to be Christian ministry. So when I have just studied and all this, what in the world? I noticed that Phariseeism and this type of thing go along with protecting their turf. If Phariseeism and false teaching go along together, false teaching and Phariseeism, accuser of people without and blaming people without speaking and find out if it's true, without verification, it's tied into money, love of money. So Phariseeism... Like with Jesus' day, they, they're guarding their turf, protecting their, their power, their pride, their position, and their knowing more than everybody, elite status, superiority. That is a part of the turf Jesus fought, that religious spirit. So we want to tear down the religious spirit, but not condemn people, God's people. We want to say this is a warning, however, from the Lord. All right.
This is not the old day. God is not going to settle for what he used to. This is a word I had in 2020 after stumbling into this repeatedly where I used to live. And the Lord would have me think, what's in their doctrine? And then I had all these people that spoke into my life and they always thought I was unsubmitted and not in order because I wasn't under a whelp. I wasn't under them, but they never found it. They wanted, you know, this is how they operate. So I thought, why? You know, but I was a lot younger and not so fierce. And so I've had to get fierce. So they're that bad. Some of these are so ang so mean. And I do it for many people, many, because I realize if people are that bad to me and they're white, what are they doing to the brown people and the black people? They're worse. <laughs> so um, I think for the body of Christ, the team, I'm for the team. So back in the day in 2000. 20, when I started to get words of the Lord, I would get them. And one of them is up there this week on the, my online fellowship.us. It said, they would always quote this type of person, don't touch God's anointed, do his prophets no harm, meaning them. And I was out in the streets getting harmed as one of his anointed. And many, many bokus of others were also in ministry around the area and around the nation. So I wrote up there, you, we have to know that the call of God is not your exclusive call. You are not the only finished work that God has raised up in any kind of move, any time. There's always another move out in the seats and even past the ones in the seats. It is out in the nursery or waiting to be born the next group for the move of God. So be careful who you're talking about. Be careful who you are against, praying against character assassination. It will come back to haunt you. All right. The word of the Lord came back in 2020, and I'm saying it now over and over. I hope people are going to get this because we want them to be protected, safe from the Lord's judgment on the Eli Templi priesthood and all the ego stuff. The word was... One day when God's going to move, it's going to be so important that we have body unity, that we're a team, that we're like the transformed church of Ephesians 4, the Philadelphia diverse love walk church, the only church whose doors will never close, whether it's in a house of ministry, famous or not. And it's, he said, in that day, when I move, and it's so important that we resemble unified community, not clubs, not cults, not sects, but community. Because when you read Ephesians 4, they know their Bible <laughs> and they know about common doctrine, walking in humility and lowliness, everybody. And it says how all of this working together, Ephesians 4, then it creates a transformed body of Christ, a ministry that's transformed, that transforms the whole charismatic, Pentecostal, non-denominational, denominational, basic Christian community. And that transformed community will be noted by there's less winds of doctrine, less con artists, less immaturity, juvenile behavior and thinking. And it says that once the body of Christ is transformed, Ephesians 4, it will affect society. Now, this is where we haven't had this because the society has gone downhill and it's not it's the church. It is the church. And now all, all this sin spying, that is not help. That is accusation. 
So the word of the Lord came in 2020. The Lord says, when it's my move, his move, not mine. When it's my last day's move, it's the end time harvest. It's more important than your ministry or mine. It is about him and people making it to heaven for eternal life. That's the reason. So therefore, the word is so important. It can be like the days of Ananias and Sapphira. When I was in Dallas, I heard this TV affected ministry fan club follower type of minister. And they were like, oh, yeah, they quote, the, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Yeah, yeah, we took your stuff, but you're just not sweet if you want it back to confront me. You're not sweet like baby Jesus because we're the righteous. You know, there's false teaching big time at the grassroots. So I was waked up, you know, like, wow, that that happened more than twice. So I teach on it. All right. So we want to not be in a fog of reality, a licentious lasciviousness, greasy grace, or plain old twisted, making a form of, you know, using God to get what you want. That's, I mean, that's evil. That's just evil. Calling evil good and good evil. That's what's going on a lot. So the word was, you know, when they didn't understand the relationship respect factor, I had keyboard, piano, different things, three, three different times. They were expensive, a computer, and I would ask for it back, and they'd hide, and then I'd do what Bible says, which is my practice, up front, confront respectfully, but they didn't know about that. So they hid, and then they accused me, <laughs> mega and micro, <laughs> like I was not sweet like baby Jesus, and I went, whoa, something is totally missing here. So they, uh, you teach, you think what is in the doctrinal bathwaters and what is not. And a lot of it, it wasn't the money. It was about a disrespect of a fellow Christian, the disrespect of a relationship set by God, the disrespect of a female, of a mother in Christ, a saint, a person who's all five offices, a person who's been in leadership all her life, a fellow pastor. <laughs> they just don't know it. So we're teaching it. So the Lord put on my heart because it was building and, you know, I was getting an eyeful, enormous, enormous eyeful. And I'm not saying it's the top teachers. It's they don't know what's going on in their name. All of these ones. But we can help you. We can help you by bringing it to light. But the main part was of 2000, the Lord said in the last days, it's going to be so important that we don't make it a hill to climb to go to church. That we don't have all this weird stuff in the body, name calling, calling people from names from pulpits and jumping them in public and all the stuff I've seen and seen and seen. All right. Immature, flaky and religious. Some of it demonic. False teaching gone awry. He says in the last days, it's going to be so important. It's about his move. And it's important that we resemble. This is the word. Just as the body of Christ was very carnal and fleshly into themselves, division, bias in the book of Corinthians, the fleshly thorny church. He said that's when people were taking the communion, the Lord's Supper, without with they were failing to discern the body of Christ correctly, men and women. And it says because they didn't have their hearts prepared, they were not pure before the Lord, they were not self-judging, not accusing, but self-evaluating and repenting. And they were instead mocking and they're doing all these things, playtime. 
that because they failed, this is the word that happened during the Lord's Supper, uh, Paul said to them, many of you are ill and you don't know why. Many of you are dead. You're dying young. Many have died young because they failed to discern the body of Christ correctly. So the Lord had put in my heart in 2020 to say this. When it's the last move of God on the earth, he is not settling for second, third, or fourth hand servanthood. Things he used to slide by, let slide by, are not going to be slid by anymore. It will be like the days of Ananias and Sapphira in leadership. And he will, many who fail to discern the body of Christ correctly and are calling out names, witch watching, hurting people that are anointed, not confronting them, uh, saying people's names out loud on their pulpit, on their media, uh, writing things, accusing, it's accusing. Accusing unjustly, no confrontation, no humility. If they are saying, you know, they're just a black so-and-so or a white so-and-so or a, you know, this, that, and the other evil speaking, and they're failing before the Lord, failing to self-judge, failing to get over and repent for their accusation and humble themselves, it will be just like it will be just like communion because they are interrupting God's perfect transformed community with this arrogance, slavery, division, evil speaking, bias, bigotry, anti-woman misogyny, anti-male hating. It will be just like communion and some of these people some people in ministry are going to die young and some are going to be ill and they won't know why because they failed to discern the body of Christ correctly, the other leaders, the other mature Christians, and they were just plain old simple clueless. So I'm putting, I'm submitting this. I will say it again because I want people to make sure they're getting this word from the Lord to be warned. The other part was back in 2000, after I'd been in Dallas and been in ministry for 20, 30 years, I was in Dallas and I kept discovering this, the most evil fruit I'd ever seen in my life that called himself a Christian ministry. And that was biased fruit, bigoted fruit, but also blasphemous user and even vulture culture. I'd never had, I'd never had before and since vulture culture, watching to use the scripture to take advantage of you. And a woman thing, too, as well. Could be a man thing. So I was like, you know, filled up. It's like Daniel down in Babylon. That's all I could figure out. This is more like, I never thought I'd be like feeling like Daniel carried away to Babylon in ministry. That was then. I'm away. But I can always teach about it. And there was such disrespect. You know, no love in the community. No fear of God. No love. And that's a lot of places where the same kind of doctrine teaching goes on. False teaching does that. Witch watching breeds it. Suspicion. Fear of man, men pleasing, all that elite stuff does this to, a lot. So when I was there, it was to, to really understand why God was going to perhaps bring judgment on America. Not accuse people. Just think, man, these people are hard. It is a hard, hard ministry attitude. 
no love, bias, self, it's self-preservation and uh, evil speaking, which watching, but also like money, 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 achievement, not relationship. Relationships are low on the po pole. Money is big on the pole, including with Pharisees and protecting your turf. That goes into that. So when I was thinking and assessing and writing and being really sad for the future of our nation, concerned, that was in 2004 through 2012, I got out of being a charismatic. The Lord took me out. I dropped my nonprofit as a prophetic sign. I'll just trust God. And I mean, really, it was so horrible. And then now we're figuring out what to do with that after now we're out of the Babylon. Thank God, out of the pit. But um, God is so good. The thing is that I realized all these people are playing church. They're jumping through the hoops. They're doing all this people pleasing. They want. They think it's God. They think they know God, but they don't know God. Maybe they're not saved. As, as Christians, as people, because if there are that many thousands and tens applied, multiplied tens of thousands going to all these big churches, famous and not, what about the many mega millions that don't want to go there? And I was with them during that time. I was with them. I understood. No love. When the Lord gave me this word back in the 2020, I just felt something was coming. And in 2019... I didn't exactly know what I was getting or why, but 2019 in, um, in, in September 7th, 16th, and I wrote the word on onlinefellowship.us, which is dfwleaderministryfellowship.com and all these other blogs, I was told by the Lord, go to read Acts 2. I'd had a real concern because my dad was a minister and I hadn't known anything like this. I just was concerned for the future of the church, to be honest. Why are people, you know, if millennials were not going and they were future, like million would never go back. That means they took their children with them. They take their children with them. That's why we have issues from the children not being, you know, maybe soccer practice on the field back when my children were younger. Uh, on Sundays, there's a lot of missing links because of priorities. But back on the word. So I was thinking of what in the world is going on that makes people not like going. And I knew why I didn't like going. And then why is there no fear of the Lord in ministry? All these things are still to be thought about, prayed about, asked the Lord about. And it's teaching. How do you have the fear of the Lord if you've never been taught about it or think it's any worthwhile thing? Proverbs 2, 1 through 5 is about how to get the fear of the Lord. You value the Lord and his wisdom more than you do making money. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. By God's grace, I stumbled upon that myself in the 80s. All right. So we're looking for the, we're, get, we're, we're looking for the no poor me. Oh, look, they're finding fault with me. Oh, poor me. It's her fault that I'm being acute. No, I'm correcting. It's not popular to 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 70. Nobody wants to buy your stuff. And I don't sell it anyway. Um, the, it says that there is, in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, my foundational Bible verse of this ministry, says that the Bible is, the, is profitable for teaching, correction, doctrine, and 
reproof, which I am doing. Reproving, and that also means in the Merriam-Webster dictionary I found out 10 years ago, it means to tick off. So you're not too settled and comfortable in your ways. Jesus came to afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. That type of thing. But we want, we don't want people to go think Jesus is their enemy, that going to church is their nemesis, that they have to jump through hoops, fight through doctrine, be passing of the test and their typecast test. Are they old enough? Are they young enough? Are they black enough? Are they white enough? Are they the right gender? Are they our style? Do we get their vibe before we treat them with respect? That's the deal. No respect. So we don't want cliques and clubs. These are relationship things. Cliques and clubs and cults. That means they're following people, not God. We want unique individuals that gather. That's good. That have the ability to gather and unite, thinking basically the same, Ephesians 4, Common Doctrine. But we don't want to have the stylized, elite, patrician, critical groups. No, we don't want that. God wants it to be fun and merry and serious because there's are serious times, but we don't want to be spooky or evil and um, cause Jesus to come across as looking evil or witchy or brooding and unfriendly or, you know, too severe. I think also the doctrinal elite, many people in the whelp community use their false teaching instead of having and knowing the power of might. Isaiah 11, 2 and 3 are the God's seven spirits. They're like the book of Acts in 2 without speaking in tongues, so to speak. You can ask and invite God for more of his counsel, his might, his power, his wisdom, the fear of the Lord is one, and the spirit of the Lord. And you can go there and model the prophet or the person, the parent, as a spirit-filled person and ask for more of God's might and power. But you, if you want to speak in tongues, I recommend it. But if you don't, at least everybody, instead of using legalism and fault-finding, holier-than-thou stuff, go ask for more power and might. Then if you feel it, you see a Jezebel one day, any of you, you're going to be man enough, woman enough to go bind it, cast it out. At least you're going to confront it. So I have bound, but I've also not failed to be a confronter. I've not been a weak wuss, even though I've had huge, enormous Pauline shipwrecks, more than a few, and took my stuff more than once. But you know what? Just like by God's grace, I have more fun than I've ever had and more joy and more fullness. And I'm satisfied with the Lord and godly contented, but I'm not complacent or self-satisfied. There's always work to be done. So spread the word, please, you know, spread the word about making Jesus' house safe, simple, uh, no more of this compassion-fatigued Eli High Priesthood. All right, back when I was in September, and, I'm, and I've got to finish. Back in September, when I heard the word of the Lord say, go read Acts 2. It was pre-COVID. I had no clue what would happen. I felt a real concern, a burden, a grief for the sake of the church and Jesus all the time. Practically, I was in Dallas, DFW. It was just spirit-filled. I was at the spirit-filled. It was just a dearth. 
of love. It was about finances, but not about anything else, much more. So when I was concerned and I had pulled out after fruitless trying to join and fellowship, and I found more friends and Christians at the gym and at the Barista Fellowships, they were Baptists usually, and I need the Holy Spirit for my ministry. I love Him. Then I was researching doctrine, researching my heart. You know, is my heart pure? Am I one of those that they say, you know, <laughs> am I friendly? Yes. <laughs> so that's when I came up with James 3.17 criteria for discerning people by their relationship. Are they representing the wisdom of God? Are you, am I, are they? pure, peaceable, easily entreated, full of mercy and good fruit, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Well, I was finding out that isn't always the case where I wanted to, you know, find my Holy Spirit. <laughs> so we found it at the gym and at the Barista Fellowship. And I can still find it out here more than a big clubby church, frankly. More than a clubby church, I can find it out outside the halls of the churches, basically. They're more friendly. And I'm working on me all the time. I haven't quit that. So in September 16th, the Lord said, go read Acts 10, Acts 2. And I was in Dallas. And I knew that, you know, that's the part about the book of Acts and the tongues and the 120 and the rush of a mighty wind. So I pictured I'd hear the, you know, read about the rush of the mighty wind, a move of God. So as I read down the page, when I got to about the rush of the mighty wind, the words went into a flush. A coming, there will be a coming Holy Spirit flush that will flush out the ministry. The Christian ministry will flush them out and their character. It's an ongoing, it will still keep on continuing. Now, I had seen many years and written on from 2012, let's say, on all my blogs about the Eli Templeye priesthood, this jaded, stuck in a rut, user, abuser, accuser priesthood. Uh, it took advantage of women and money and made God's offering a stench in the area among God's people. Caused his offering, the Lord's offering, to be in great disrespect. And we've already seen that. You know that. We've all seen that around America for 30 years. So it was on my mind to really pull back. I really pulled back away from that kind of crowd. And I pulled back away from taking offerings. And then I had great catastrophes on that, and it was because I couldn't find anybody I could really trust that respected me. I really couldn't find that at that area. So, because I do speak and, you know, believe in the Holy Spirit, need that, enjoy the Holy Spirit. So, I just thought, this is like a prophet. Hey, I'm a prophet. I'll handle that. It's like an apostle. Apostle Paul was not even wanted or respected by the first 12 apostles in the first church at first because they were mentored by Jesus. Maybe they had an attitude, were snobby, I don't know. But anyway, they didn't like Paul's vibe. It was a new era. So instead, Paul tried it. Didn't work out with Barnabas and Peter. And so he went up for 13, 14 years to live with the Arabs in Damascus, which is now Syria. And I related. I thought, this is exactly what's going on. These people, you know, this is it. This is a teaching moment. You don't know who you're demeaning. You don't know who you've got in your audience. Some little kid that might be remembering you. Some little uh, 
tiny little lady, some little older lady or younger lady or a black person. You have no clue who is in your audience. When I look back at my life and I remember, I don't even know her face, but when I went to my first Sunday school, I remember, I may get misty, uh, in a Baptist church in the country, my dad's church, they took me in when I was about to, to Miss Thelma. Miss Thelma was the lady that was in charge of the two-year-olds. And I remember getting my little quarter, my dime, whatever it is, to put in the offering. And the love and the memory of Miss Thelma still is like this, I don't know what she looked like, an older lady. Maybe, you know, to maybe she looked 80. <laughs> I don't know how old she was at age two. But I remember Miss Thelma. And I think that is what matters. This is what matters. The, the love. The love, not the perfection. Not being right. But it's a choice to love. And see, that's why you don't know who you've got. And when... I should put my dark glasses on. <laughs> when I um, accepted the Lord. When I was nine in my father's church field, I'm going to put my glasses on because it bothers me to see me do this. Uh, my father had a country church. He wasn't country. He was, you know, he was not a country person, but they sent him on assignment with my mother and family to the church. And it was out in a country part. We had to drive out in the country. So he had a friend named Pastor Hepler who came and preached revival when I was nine years old. And I'll always remember Pastor Hepler. Pastor Hepler probably had no clue that he will get the reward for saving this soul. You know, I'd already met the Lord or knew the, invited the Lord in, I believe, my, my parents, but not officially. So Dr. Pastor Hepler was preaching the Bible and there was no air conditioning in a country church and that the big windows open. Well, that night I was nine and so it was really hot. And I remember seeing Pastor Hepler in his fancy blue suit, looked like a really nice Navy suit. And he's preaching with his Bible back and forth, and I really got it. I went, wow, I don't want to burn in hell for eternity. And he's really a good preacher. And I went, I want to accept Jesus so that I can avoid that. <laughs> and I did. Well, that was the same night that a giant, huge country bug, looked like a cigar with wings, <laughs> flew in. And that's why I know when I was saved, because I was watching Pastor Hepler, and then all of a sudden, this giant, horrible black bug comes in, and I hate bugs. So I was just riveted. And, you know, he preached like two or three nights, so I'm not sure which night I really made got saved, but I know it was that week. So Pastor Hepler is walking back with his Navy suit on. I was watching the bug. I'd watch Pastor Hepler, and I had to keep my eyes so that bug didn't come on me. That was the reason. I was like on the second row. So we were watching the bug and I was, you know, hearing the Pastor Hepler and all of a sudden I remember Pastor Hepler. Because while that bug came, he was preaching and it sat on his back shoulder. And I was horrified. I was nine. I was horrified. I thought, man, does he know that horrible bug, huge bug, three or four inches is on his back shoulder on his suit. Well, I didn't have to wait long because Pastor Hepler, without missing a beat, he got his Bible and he went boom, and he swatched, <laughs> smashed that bug all over the suit, his nice suit. And I went, ew, but it made a big impression. So after, you know, he was like, 
didn't bother him at all. He kept on with his message. It was so cool. But see, nobody knows. You don't know who's out in your audience. You don't know who's out in the seats. If you have not but like 15 people, five people, you have no clue that you might be Mr. Pastor Hepler. And Pastor Hepler, I never saw him again. All I know is I do know the rough turf of a, of a small, you know, ministry real well. <laughs> I know the micro turf all too well. I mean, I like it. I'm meant to be here. But I think Pastor Hepler just tried by grace to do what the Lord wanted him, and that was to preach a revival for my father. He did it. He didn't know what happened. I didn't know what happened. But God knew, and got, you know, all this ministry is going to be... All this ministry is going to be given to his credit and to my dad's credit. And see, my dad never saw me do this. He went to be with heaven when I was, you know, a young mother. And so his silent witness to me, <laughs> he was born in Dallas, Georgia, a postage stamp. <laughs> the postage stamp, a micro, micro ministry postage stamp back then. And when I was in Dallas, all I could do is think, Oh, I'm so glad I knew my dad. I'm so glad I had the witness of my father as a minister, as a person, as a Christian, as a leader. I'm so glad I had a great, respectful dad, an awesome dad like that, because it helped me with the mean and the ornery and the disrespect. That's a lot of the ministry that says it's a ministry for Jesus at the grassroots. So I'm here with joy, joy and peace and grace, and I do want to thank the many honorable, great prophetic ministries that are famous and not famous, white and brown, a lot of white ones, because they know they've had a lot of, you know, getting their word out, their music. I appreciate that, but we don't want to rest on our laurels. We don't want to rest on our country laurels, our city laurels, our urban laurels, our suburban, whatever laurels you got, if you got any. <laughs> Let's just keep on going and start again. God bless you. He loves you. This is Tavo DRC signing off for now. If you want to correspond, dialogue, uh, share something, ask a question, get prayer, just write me at dfwleader at gmail.com. God bless you.